Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's two weeks since the jury handed down their final verdicts in the case of Lucy Letby. She was found guilty of seven counts of murder and six counts of attempted murder, all of them newborn babies on the ward that she worked on as a nurse. She'll be in prison for life. Aged just 33, she knows she will never be released. This is all clear, fact. But what has troubled and confused many people since Lucy Letby was first arrested back in 2018 is why did she do it? What was her motivation? How do you know the operation of somebody else's mind? There have been female serial killers who have said, no, I didn't do it, no, I didn't do it, and then came out and said, yeah, okay, I did. Even after months of trial hearings, this is just as unclear now as it was when she was first handcuffed. She goes to work every day. She's a skilled nurse. People like her. She takes salsa lessons. She gets along with her friends. But what about that other face, the other side? As the most prolific child killer in modern UK history, we are going to examine how, in many ways, Lucy Letby actually fits the profile of a female serial killer, but also, even more chillingly, how she doesn't. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Luke Jones. Today, Lucy Letby, what makes a female serial killer? My name is Marissa Harrison. I am professor of psychology from Penn State Harrisburg in Pennsylvania, United States. Professor Harrison is talking to me from her home office. She's been studying female serial killers for the last nine years. I had a colleague at school at Penn State Harrisburg who's a clinical psychologist who specializes in forensic psych. And once upon a time, his team was studying mass murder. And I invited myself. I actually published a paper on autogenic massacre, mass murder from an evolutionary point of view. And then once a really great student said, hey, Dr. Harrison, you study mass murder. Would you like to study serial murder with me for an independent study? And then when we got into it, we realized really not a lot of people have studied female serial killers. And so that's when I got deep into the field. We bandied the term serial killer about quite a bit. Mm-hmm. How do we define it? How do you define it? All right. So it is my understanding. This is what I go by. Academics tend to go with. So a serial killer is three or more murders with at least 
a week cooling off period in between each murder. Why does there need to be a kind of cooling off period between each of those murders in, in terms of the definition? I mean, if somebody murders a whole bunch of people at once, maybe there was a, some kind of really quick antecedent and the person snapped. Versus if the person is killing someone, then there's cooling off. Then they're killing another and then there's cooling off. There's something about that person that is either planning or very much okay with what they're doing. So what on earth did you think when you first saw the reporting on on Lucy Letby and the fact she'd been convicted of murdering seven babies? First of all, I'm a human being, so I was appalled, right? Because there are no words to describe how horrific this is. But from my field, from my research, in the world of female perpetrated serial murder, I, I wasn't that surprised to see who it was. Why'd you say that? Because what we found in our research, and some other people have found it as well, but we demonstrated statistically that maybe about 40% of female serial killers are some kind of caregivers. So they are nurses, nurses' aides, mothers, people who are in charge of giving care to other people. We'll come back to Lucy Letby in a moment. But earlier this year, Professor Harrison published a book called Just As Deadly, The Psychology of Female Serial Killers. And in it... She details some of the grim stories of American women who have committed multiple murders. One is Kristen Gilbert, and she encapsulates, as close as we can get to it, the traits of a quote-unquote typical female serial killer. Kristen Gilbert was a nurse who worked in a Veterans Affair hospital in Massachusetts, United States, in the 1990s. She was pretty average to attractive looking. She was very smart, um, well-liked. She was the valedictorian of her class, very smart woman. And what happened was that medical staff began to notice this trend of higher number of patient death whenever she was on shift. And um, at first there were rumors that perhaps there was an angel of death operating, right? So somebody who works in a medical facility that kills patients um, mm -hmm. due to the amount of people that were dying on her, her watch. But nurses who worked with her started to report their concerns. Nurses reported finding empty bottles of the drug epinephrine around after these deaths. So somebody had injected patients with uh, an agent that could cause heart attacks. So somebody was doing this on purpose. Again, Kristen was there when all these things were happening. Basically, the investigators found that the odds of it not having been Kristen Gilbert were like one in 100 million, something like that. Gosh. Yeah. And what do we know of her apparent motivation? I mean, I guess it's difficult to ever truly know, but, but what can we glean? Reputable newspapers here in the United States, such as the Boston Globe, they reported that, you know, it, it was it was thought that she liked the thrill of medical emergencies. And one quote was that she reveled in the excitement of it. She liked to play the hero. So in other words, the thought was she was causing, it is my understanding, she was causing heart attacks and rushing in or pretending she was rushing in and trying to save the patients in front of everyone to try to appear hero. But that wasn't her only motive. There were reports that she murdered just to get somebody out of the way, as cold as that, it, it, terrible as it is. So she she fancied this one gentleman that worked there. I believe he was perhaps an ambulance driver or something like that. She wanted to uh, go out on a date with him. And she was on duty and one of her, she was, you know, caretaking one of the patients. And she asked her nurse supervisor, hey, can I get off work if, if this guy dies? And they said, well, yeah. And then the guy ended up dead. 
So she was, Gosh. yeah, right. So she was accused of killing this guy just so she could go out on on a date. It's it's horrendous and untenable. And what happened after? Well, well I assume a court case. She was convicted. So convicted of four murders, a couple attempted murders as well. And they did find it was she who induced cardiac arrest. She injected their IV bags and whatnot with massive doses of epinephrine or what we call adrenaline. She did plead not guilty, but she she was found guilty. Interestingly, though, even though when she was identified as a murderer, she didn't seem always that distressed about it. She told her neighbor, wow, you know, I hope the actress Bridget Fonda plays me in, in, in a movie made about my life. So she went from being fearful to maybe reveling in the attention just a bit. Okay, so there's definitely a lot going on there with her. Yes. And there's a lot going on in the in the sort of broader profile that, that you constructed of what a US female serial killer would look like. What did you look at and and what did you find to go about your research? We started off actually with just reviewing the cases we could find on female perpetrated serial murder and crimes that occurred within the United States. So the first study we did, we had a sample of 64 solo female serial killers. I realized it was, you know, on the small side, generally speaking, but in terms of serial murder, which is very, very uncommon, it's a pretty large sample size. So you could look at all of these cases then. Uh, doing that, could you could you glean what was a, a typical U.S. female serial killer, what that person looked like? Yeah, sure, I could. So what we did was we published our findings in the Journal of Forensic Psychiatry and Psychology, and we put together what we called a profile, so like a statistical commonality of what one might find. And if you want, I could read it to you. Yes, do. I'm going to read it right from the journal. She's likely white, has been married, and perhaps has had multiple marriages. She's probably in her 20s or 30s, maybe middle class, Christian, of average intelligence, and likely of average or above average attractiveness. She's likely legally employed and maybe a healthcare worker or hold another stereotypically feminine job. She's likely in charge of caring for helpless others, children or patients. She may have been physically or sexually abused when she was younger, and she may have had issues with her parents. For example, they were overly controlling or absent deceased, or mother was an alcoholic. She may have a history of conduct issues, sociopathological or bizarre behavior, and may have a history of mental health issues. She may appear arrogant, while she may also appear withdrawn. She may engage in atypical sexual behavior. She may have had a recent crisis, such as a relationship issue. Those familiar to her, even those related to her, are at risk, especially vulnerable individuals. For example, children, ill, elderly. She may murder for money or power, most likely by poisoning or asphyxiating her victims. Methods that mimic natural death, perhaps to avoid detection. She would likely kill in a suburban area. Which is fascinating. And are, are all of those things that you mention in that, I mean, that's not just you riffing off, off the top of your head with the benefit of having read lots of cases. You've actually gone through and seen what has cropped up time and time again. You're exactly right. I put names aside and we put cases in a statistical, you know, software package and we came up mm. with means and frequencies, what was common, what was what was overrepresented. So if we focus then back on Lucy Letby, 
How much does she map onto that, do you think? I think she maps on very well to the the profile of female serial killer. Let me just say this, though. In fairness, a a criminal profile, it's not a perfect predictor, right? It's Mm. a statistical tool for investigators. It's a starting point to say, hey, you might want to look at this. And then being fair, and we must be fair, almost anybody who's ever lived who matches what I read to you before, they're not going to kill people. They're not going to be a, they're not going to be a serial killer. But you're asking about Lucy Letby, and I do think she checks off a lot of these boxes, right? So white, 20s or 30s, average intelligence, average looking, caretaker nurse in charge of vulnerable others, especially children, sick children. I mean, she does match those things. And what about the ways that Lucy Let Be um, peels away from this profile in which she's not as typical? So, you know, again, she doesn't check every single box. For example, uh, female serial killers do tend to have been married or at least in a relationship at the time that the crime started. Uh, it's my understanding Lucy wasn't in a relationship. She might have fancied somebody, but that doesn't mean, you know, she was in a relationship or or was was married. Another big asterisk would be that in female serial killers, we found evidence that about 40% for zero have mental illness issues. And I have not seen any viable reports establishing that Lucy Letby has any form of diagnosed mental illness. So there, you know, she doesn't check every box, but she does check some. Because that, that, I guess, is also one of the interesting things that people try and, in terms of getting their head around Lucy Letby, is how, quote unquote, ordinary she seemed and her background seemed. There was no history of abuse in her childhood. She was from a middle class, two parent household. She seemed ordinary. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think some of the media has been calling her the vanilla killer, vanilla, like just plain, mm. right? In, in plain, in plain sight. Absolutely. One of the interesting things which she did was keep almost trophies, it's been suggested, of some of her victims' medical records. Um, It's been suggested that she marked in her diary in a coded way certain dates which pertain to certain attacks. Is that usual? Absolutely not. Not in female serial killer cases. In my research, I've seldom seen any records of female serial killers keeping trophies like Lucy Letby did. I mean, reports say that she had a diary with the the victim's initials on the dates they died. Um, I have very, very seldom seen that in female serial killers versus male serial killers tend to keep trophies to revisit and fantasize about, etc. Is there a logical reason for why that's the case? My guess would be that male serial killers tend to have a largely sexual motive. It's not all the time, but but my mm. research shows compared to female serial killers, far more male serial killers have a sexual motive. And if they revisit their trophies, they may be able to involve those in sexual gratification and, and fantasy about the crimes, relive the thrill of the crimes, etc. Versus female serial killers, it's been my research, it's been my conclusion that the end game is the death, not necessarily reveling in the killing per se and keeping the souvenirs of it, right? So the person's dead, it's over, and they don't really want to leave a trace and get caught, 
What about when they're confronted with their crimes? And I guess you, you can answer generally in, ter- in terms of female serial killers, just because, again, in the trial, um, one of the prosecutors at one point said to Lucy Letby, pointed out to her, why is it that you only get visibly emotional when we're talking about you and not when we're talking about the children that you killed? Um, being calm and you know cooperative during questioning, not necessarily showing emotion when confronted with the grisly facts of her of her crimes. Why might that be the case in people? Earlier, we said that Lucy Lepi has no reported mental illness diagnosis that I've that I've encountered. Um, mm. And I can make a comment on that, if you will. So I must give the disclaimer. I'm not a clinical psychologist. I haven't interviewed Lucy Lepi. But what I could do is give an opinion based on cases like this one. So if I had to give an expert guess here, I'm going to think that Lucy Letby is showing signs of psychopathy or being a psychopath. But again, somebody who's a clinician is going to have to sit down with her and interview her and decide that. But the signs and symptoms of Lucy Letby are consistent with previous cases of psychopathy. So let me explain that if, if I may. So somebody who is a psychopath they have two faces, all right? So uh, a researcher back in the day, Harvey Cleckley, developed the concept of it. He said that people who are psychopaths wear the mask of sanity, okay? What does that mean? It means they get along in their everyday life. They could put on the face of, for example, the contractor next door or the teacher or the nurse and fool everyone into thinking that they're a normal part of society. Um Serial killer in the United States, John Wayne Gacy, maybe a lot of people have heard of him, the killer clown. He was actually a really liked member of society. He was a local contractor that shoveled people's sidewalks just to be a good neighbor. He entertained children in children's hospitals just to be a good guy. People thought he was normal, but he killed 33 young men and kept their bodies in his crawl space. He was not normal. So go to somebody in the case such as that of Lucy Letby, right? She goes to work every day. She's a skilled nurse. People like her. She takes salsa lessons. She gets along with her friends. But what about that other face, the other side? Mm. Take that mask of sanity off. And then what do you get? Well, according to the jury, you get a child killer. Coming up, despite all the evidence, why do we still often struggle with the idea of female serial killers? And what does Professor Harrison think could have been Lucy Letby's motivation? That's in a moment. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
Professor Harrison, can we talk about how these people present themselves? Um, Lucy Letby and also some of the um, US female serial killers that, that you studied. Because throughout this case, you've heard a lot of people say things like, but she looked so innocent. Um, in fact, in, in the very early days when some of the consultants were worried about what was happening on the ward, one of them did put say in an email, oh no, it can't be nice, Lucy. They seem so surprised that someone of that character could possibly be involved with this. Even her friends that refused to believe what she has done and what she might be capable of. Is that normal? Do you hear that kind of thing a lot about this kind of person? Here's what I think is going on. So in psychology, if you've ever taken an introductory psychology class, you will cover the concept of schema, right? So what is a schema? It is this cognitive framework of how the world is and ought to be. So how do we construct a schema? By all of our previous experience put together, and what does that mean? For example, we have a schema of what a woman is, right? Whether it's good, bad, or ugly, we do. What a woman is and what a woman ought to be. Kind and nurturing and caregiving. I'm not condoning it or endorsing it. I'm just saying, typically, here we are in the world and people think women are and ought to be nice and nurturing and caregiving and that a woman would never hurt anybody. Hurting, harming somebody is inconsistent with our schema of woman right? And then we also have the schema of nurse. So all the information we've encountered previously about nurses, what does that tell us? They're caring and compassionate and brilliant and skilled, and they would never hurt anybody. So murderer doesn't fit our schema with nurse, right? So put that together, mm. woman nurse. And we're very, very, very unlikely to think that this person could harm people, especially somebody who presents as so nice and normal, like Lucy did, right? So very hard to 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 fathom that. And does that work on an, on a one to one basis as well? Not just in the abstract of a woman and nurse. Can mm-hmm. it work in a sort of you know, Marissa has only ever been nice to me and has only ever done nice things for me. So my understanding of you, my schema for you, and how you operate is skewed by just my experience with you. So the idea of of you doing something dreadful, I just can't quite compute. You are exactly right on the individual level. Absolutely. And there's another concept in social psychology, long known, it's called the halo effect, whereby if I know one good thing about you, then I assume everything else about you is good. One good thing creates a halo. Um, Now here's Lucy. She's nice. Halo effect. Here's Lucy. She's just kind of you know, she's a really good nurse and was a good daughter, etc. All these good things about her. So again, probably schema halo effect one in the same Right. But we just Mm. find it very, very hard to believe that she would do this. But you'll find reports of other serial killers where this is true. I got a note from a doctor who worked with Kristen Gilbert. He emailed me after he saw an article I wrote online and he said, you know, hey, Marissa, it's true. People didn't want to believe Kristen Gilbert did this. Right. So we just don't want to know. In fact, I read a a quote in a news outlet, Lucy Letby. They said that Dr. Breary, who was on staff at Countess of Chester Hospital, you know, he said it's not something anybody wanted to consider that that she was harming babies. And there was another quote that the senior nursing staff on the unit didn't believe this could be true. And so you can place fault and blame for inaction all you want. As a psychologist, as a research psychologist, I just offer that alternate explanation that most of us are unwilling to believe that this is true. And if that is especially the case for 
the traits you'd associate with women and, and, and women who are nurses as well. Do you think that female serial killers benefit in some way from that sexism, from that dis- built-in almost disbelief that they could be capable of things like this? You're absolutely right. And you're valid calling it sexism, right? Because typically, I mean, it might be changing in society today, but traditionally women are viewed as caretakers and, and loving and whatnot. And men are viewed as strong, etc. Again, right or wrong. That's just what research shows us in psychology. But I do think female serial killers tend to get away with it longer or at all because people are unwilling to believe that they could do this. It's interesting in the in the days after the verdict, lots of people started throwing in that those terms that we always hear about her being evil or her being a monster. What do you make of of that kind of use of language and discourse? Because it's not like we live in a heartily religious and, and Christian world where the concept of evil is something that everyone subscribes to. Is it useful to try and completely write off somebody as evil? So, I mean, I'm a I'm a research psychologist. And to me, that's that's more of a moral ascription, mm. evil or not evil, etc. I mean, we have to be prepared to recognize that there are people who could, without thinking, harm or kill someone. If somebody wants to call that evil, that's their prerogative as a psychologist. I wouldn't do that. I mean, I'm not saying she's not evil. I'm just saying it's just not a useful scientific term where I'm coming from. I think the best we could do is validate that there is a type of person out there who lacks emotion, who lacks remorse, who would harm you to gain whatever they're trying to gain. Is it useful then for us to try and think of what her motivation for this might be? Because that is the outstanding question now. Or should we just focus on on the systems and our own awareness to try and stop somebody who might want to do that doing it again? Is it actually useful to think about motivation? Is it is it possible in all instances to land on a motivation? So I don't think it's possible, but I think it's extremely useful. I mean, psychologists and non-psychologists alike, what's the first thing we think when somebody does something? Why? Right? Why did you do this? Why? If we can understand our motivation, then we can, you know, perhaps in the future, identify people who approximate those type of motivations and and Mm. interfere before murder happens, or at least more murders happen. So I think it's extremely useful, but I think it's extremely difficult. How do you know the operation of somebody else's mind? I mean, there have been female serial killers who have said, no, I didn't do it. No, I didn't do it. And then came out and said, yeah, okay, I did. Uh, In the United States, there's a case, late 1800s, Lydia Sherman, she poisoned a whole bunch of people, her husbands, her own children, her stepchildren, et cetera, et cetera. She said, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And then later in life in jail, she wrote a memoir. I was like, yeah, I did it. You know, and she wrote a story about it. So, I mean, someday Lucy might tell us why she did it. Maybe she won't. Maybe we'll never know. All we could do is try to listen to the science and 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 inter- intervene if possible. And it's one thing to have her and, and other killers admit that they did do something after protesting for ages that they didn't. But is it a common factor for the motivation to actually elude people um, completely? It's usually identified whether that comes from the killer herself or psychologists try to pinpoint, usually they kill for money or power, money or power. And I don't even know if there needs to be an or there because money or power or the thrill of it 
those all fall under hedonistic motives. Like it gives me some kind of feeling. That's why I wanted to do it. It made me feel powerful or access to resources, et cetera. It's my understanding no one really knows Lucy Letby's motive. But, you know, if I had to take an expert guess here, I would think there was definitely some kind of power hedonistic type thing going on, right? Maybe the thrill of trying to save the infants, or maybe she just felt the power of of, of ending a life. We're not going to probably know that, but based on previous cases just like hers, that would be my guess. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. With me, Luke Jones, and my guest, Marissa Harrison, Professor of Psychology at Penn State, Harrisburg. If you want to read more of Professor Harrison's work, we've put a link to her book, Just as Deadly, The Psychology of Female Serial Killers, in the episode description. Also, if you've been affected by what you've heard in this episode, we'll also put there some websites that you might find helpful. The producers today were Will Rowe and Ellie MacDonald, with production assistance from Taryn Siegel. The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by Tom Birchall. Cheers for listening. See you soon. Goodbye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.